Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Thursday, first day of USC Fall Camp. We've got a very special guest coming on the podcast. Uh, so we're going to talk to him a little bit about USC, the Pac-12, but I just want to let you know if you have any questions for us, podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address, or you can give us a call at 641-715-3900, extension 816-646, or go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. You can leave a voicemail right from your computer or device. Uh, we're on iTunes, iTunes.com slash Peristyle Podcast. We're on Google Play. Uh, we're on Stitcher. We're on Audio Boom. A lot of different ways to get a hold of us. So drop us an email, send us your questions. And of course, fall camp starting today, like I said. So we'll be down at fall camp covering all things USC football. Lots of content going up on the site, uscfootball.com. All right. So let's get to our special guest, uh, Chris Felica. You might know him as the bear, uh, on college game day. Uh, does handicapping stuff there. He's a producer for College Game Day, which is probably my favorite show on television. Uh, follow him on Twitter, at Chris Felica, C-H-R-I-S-F-A-L-L-I-C-A. Chris, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I'm glad to be here, Ryan. Been uh, looking forward to doing it for a while, and glad our uh, schedules could mesh, could, uh, could mesh uh, big day when uh, the Trojan season gets started here in camp, and the uh, season gets started in what, uh, for about three or four weeks, and you got a big one right out of the gate. Yeah, I mean, it's a huge opening weekend, which is crazy. I wanted to, to kind of talk to you about that, um, where you guys going to be. But just to give people a little background of, of kind of what you do, uh, you know, maybe kind of share what your roles, your, your duties there are at ESPN. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, with, I'm the, uh, a co-producer of the show. I handle the, the, the stats and info portion of the show. And, uh, and really I kind of have a hand in, uh, most of the, uh, the, the, the on, the content and the on-air elements that, that go into the show, not necessarily the, uh, the cutting and the features and stuff like that, but in terms of the, the, the information portion of the show, uh, the, the on-air graphics, some of the, some of the discussions, the, the angles that, that are taken there, just, just, just a lot of the storylines as we try and plan out the day. I'll help, help the producer put together the rundown and I'll build my graphics and just kind of try and stir some, uh, some discussion with some, some hot button topics of the week and, and maybe give out a few winners on the board along the way. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's fun. It's, it, like I said, probably my favorite show on television. I don't, you know, I don't watch a lot of scripted stuff. Some, you know, my wife and I do it, but you know, that's, that's a great one. You know, it's, it's early here on the West Coast. And when you guys have come out for USC fans, if they want to go to college game day, you know, starting at six in the morning, it's a, it's an early deal, uh, kind of out here. But how did it get started where you became more of like an on air person and you got the bear personality and all that and you got your board and your, Putting your picks up there. When did that going get started? Well, the the board was a, was was a first first shot last year that they had decided to do that. We had give, been given uh, in some of our focus groups and some of our off off season conversation. There was a big push company wide with I don't know, it's a big push, but it was discussed company wide about uh, daily fantasy becoming a big thing. And ESPN Chalk got launched, and there were a lot and there were a lot of things out there that people began to realize that there was a with a market for this and an appetite for, I mean, we're, we're, let's, not, let's not be naive. I mean, college football fans like to wager on college football. And, yes. <laughs> and that was an avenue that they thought I could specialize using some of our power ratings and some of our metrics and some of the things that I observe and 
coming up with, with stats and trends throughout the week, and uh, it, it went pretty well. And I remember the first time they really wanted to put me on air was a while back, and I was a little hesitant. And I remember Kirk and, and Lee Fitting, the producer, uh, really tried to push me to try and do some things. And then I guess it would have been four years ago uh, when the show went to three hours for the first time. They essentially said, nope, sorry, you have no choice. You're doing it now. <laughs> and uh, they, put the, they put the little GoPro cam in front of me, and uh, it's been like that ever since. It, it, it's fun. I really enjoy having the interaction with the guys and uh, going back and forth. I mean, they're, they're, what, what you see on the set is really how we are throughout the week, throughout the meetings, throughout the offseason. I mean, it really is a, it is a close group of guys who just loves talking college football. So hopefully uh, that's what translates to the TV. And it's funny, you were talking about watching many scripted shows and you you would be surprised if you sat uh, in the in the in the truck or with the show rundown in front of you as as to how things were supposed to go, and, and you'd be amazed <laughs> at the number of things that either get dropped, move around, added, not mentioned, unscripted. So uh, while there is a rundown, we like to think of it as more of a guide for the show. But it, it's it, it's just a, a really it, it beats a real job, is what I like to say. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, obviously the great you know cast of characters and just the. The personalities all seem to mesh really well, and and adding you that element is great. Um, that's why it's such a popular show; everyone loves it. Um, do, now, do you? I know you're putting the results up there. Do you guys go back over the results? Like, there's so many predictions going on. Everyone on the you know on the set ends up making a prediction, but you're actually putting money on things. So how does that you know keep track of all that? Uh, they, they we started keeping track throughout the year. Uh, they put the little tombstone up with with my record, and I I'll be honest with you, I have to tally my final record up because I had it. As of the final weekend of the regular season, but I need to go back and put the uh, the bowl results in there, which I'll be happy to do because I know the bowl season was good. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it's fun to. And the thing is, while while I don't bet the games, I, I know people out there do, and, and I, I I take it seriously. And it's something I, I feel badly when uh, when when someone someone loses or I, we get a bad beat or uh, maybe we're on you know, we're on the right side and just doesn't go go the way. Or if I'm dead wrong, I'm like, wow, I. I really screwed that one up. So I'm just not throwing stuff out there like just to pick a game for the sake of picking a game. I, I really hope that, uh, that they come through for everybody. Yeah. Um, well, so this opening weekend I wanted to talk about, I, I don't remember an opening weekend in college football like this one. So many big games. I mean, local teams here in LA, you know, UCLA playing uh, Texas A&M, USC's playing Alabama. Uh, was it, is it Texas Notre Dame? I mean, there's so many games going on that weekend. Do you remember a weekend like that? No, I, I, I don't. I mean, I can remember, uh, back in the day when, like, when Miami and Florida State would have some season opening games, or there, or there'd be one huge, uh, the, the kickoff classic games, I'm, when Nebraska played some kickoff classic against Penn State, and USC played the kickoff classic a couple of times, that were some big preseason games, but I, I can't remember a, a week where you got really two of the, the true all-time blue bloods in college football with USC and Alabama. I mean, you're really, you look at some of the recent power, some of the big names in college football now. A lot of them are just either recent powers or maybe had a stretch where they weren't as dominant. But if you go throughout, gosh, the last 80, 90 years of college football, I mean, USC and Alabama are two consistently great. You've got that. You've got the two of the top three wins leaders of all times at Notre Dame and Texas on Sunday night. You've got a uh, a huge game for, for Kevin Sumlin at Texas A&M against UCLA. If UCLA were to go in there and win, it certainly would not be a desired result for, uh, for A&M and it would, it would get, uh, someone's seat, uh, hot seat a little bit warmer. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> Ole Miss Florida, Ole Miss Florida State on Monday night's a fantastic game with two teams that, 
uh, at the end of the year, maybe looking at this game saying, hey, we went out on a limb and played a great non-conference schedule. Why, why shouldn't we be in the playoffs? So it, it's, it, it, it's a weekend to, to kick it all off. And, hey, if, if one thing to learn out of this now, teams have taken note of the college football playoff mandate to schedule some teams in the offseason. Now we'll see if it backfires on them or not. It's one thing for the committee to say, go out and schedule these teams. We need you to play good games. Uh, it's my opinion right now where that, that the, the way I view that is if you win the game, the committee's going to reward you for it. But if you lose the game, the committee's not going to care. Now, maybe I'm wrong in that opinion, and maybe they'll go at the end of the year and say, hey, you know what? You did play someone. I don't care that you're 10-2 and two and they're 11-1. and one. You played a better schedule, so you're going to get in. Because I had this, this debate with someone at the end of last year. I, I had said, you know what? If Stanford goes on the road, plays a Big Ten team, uh, early kick, early in the year. We didn't have to play a Big Ten team on the road to start the year. If they would have played Fresno State, and they would have been 12-1 as opposed to 11-2, Pac-12 champion, nine conference games, a, one, a non-conference win over Notre Dame, it would have been really hard to leave them out. Again, yeah. it's catch-22, uh, rose-colored glasses looking through last uh, looking last year now in retrospect, but that would have been a pretty good argument they would have had, and I would have loved to have seen what the committee would have done uh, if Stanford was twelve and one as opposed to eleven and two, actually challenging themselves in that conference. Yeah, that was crazy. They played at nine in the morning, and uh, Christian McCaffrey hardly did anything. That I looked at David Shaw; he did not coach a good game in that one. They shouldn't have lost that one. But yeah, are you going to get it punished for doing that early on? It looked like they did. Yeah, no, they. And I remember watching that game, and you look back over the season, Seth, and how much of an outlier that was for for McCaffrey, and how, how, the, how the offense just seemed out of sync down in the red zone, and. And Stanford was, I mean, they were like the Florida State back in the in the late 80s and the 90s, early 90s. They'd lose to Miami early in the year, and there they'd be sitting at 11-1, consistently getting better at the end of the year. And that's what Stanford was last year. By the end of the, by the end of the year, they certainly were the were the team that nobody wanted to play, and it certainly showed in the Rose Bowl when they beat up on Iowa pretty easily. We're uh, talking with Chris Velika from uh, the, he's the Bear on College Game Day, and he works for ESPN, producer on that that show, the Great College. Game day show. Um, before we jump into the USC Pac-12 stuff, my wife, uh, who's a big uh, college football fan, she went to Tennessee. She wanted me to ask you about the Battle of Bristol. Uh, Tennessee and Virginia Tech, they're playing. It should be the largest college football game ever, I guess, at, you know, at the Bristol Motor Speedway. Um, I think you guys are going to be there. What Any thoughts on that one? We we will be there. It's going to be a, a pretty interesting. I'm really looking forward to, to going there and, and seeing what that racetrack looks like, which is filled in with the with a gosh, 150, 200,000 people, however many are going to be there. And, you know, t- Tennessee, I think last year, when our, or we do our little stupid power rankings on ESPN.com at the end of last year, <laughs> I probably had Tennessee ranked as high as anyone in the country. I think I had them like 12th or 13th at the end of last year. Again, just because of, of looking at the whole body of work and their losses and how they lost and really who they played with. This is, I mean, I feel bad because there's so much pressure now on Butch Jones to 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 go 10 and two at least or 11 and one and win the SEC East and get to the title SEC title game and and maybe reach the playoff, but they have a ton of talent coming back between Hurd and, and Dobbs, the receivers they have. I think their line play is finally up to SEC contention caliber uh, for the first time in a while, but it, that schedule just really worries me. That that stretch of games they have. Florida, Georgia, Alabama, that middle of October. Uh, I mean, if you go two and two in that stretch, that's really good. And, and unfortunately, I think they're going to be people and, and, and fans and observers that say if they go two and two in that stretch, they'll be sitting there, what, five and two or 
six and two at that point, saying that that's disappointing. But uh, they're a really good team, and uh, they're the favorite in the SEC East. I mean, Florida has really had their way with them lately. Twelve, 12 straight wins. They got to go to Georgia. So I'm curious how that pans out. And that Virginia Tech game, by the way, I don't think Tennessee will lose it. But with Justin Fuente coming in now, a new offense, they got a JUCO quarterback coming in who, who can throw the ball around. Uh, Bud Foster stays as the defensive coordinator. Um, you got a lot of kids back on, on the offensive line, receivers. I mean, I don't think that's going to be as big of a walkover for Tennessee as people think. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure the numbers probably. Uh, near double digits, if I had to guess, but uh, I'd be surprised if Virginia Tech didn't give them uh, their best shot again. I think Tennessee will win the game, and I think they'll go to Florida, uh, excuse me, host Florida, and be undefeated. And when when the real meat of their season gets going, yeah, uh, there's kind of similarities between like Tennessee and UCLA in some aspects where people are anticipating a big jump, you know, and and they think that like you know the last couple of years, I think Lee Corso picked UCLA to go to the the playoff and stuff. We used to think, look, this is a talented team, good coaching, everything. They should be better. They should make that jump the next year. And it seems like what the people are doing with Tennessee as well. Uh, I'm curious to see with both UCLA and Tennessee, are they going to be in that conversation of making the playoff? I, I was going to ask you about that because I mean, we had our little off-site meetings uh, before the uh, before the season the last couple of days. And and, and I think UCLA has a, has a chance to win the Pac-12 and, and talking to some people and they go, yeah, but you know what? They're always going to have that week where they just don't show up. And, and I, I was just curious, like, what your thoughts of that was, and, and why do you think that is? Why do you think they're so wildly talented and wildly inconsistent? I mean, because I mean, they got the best quarterback in the league. I know they lost Perkins, but their backup's great. Uh, they get guys back from injury on defense. It, it looks like, I mean, it, I mean, if the recruiting rankings are correct about how they well well they've done the last few years why why are they so wildly inconsistent like that yeah it's a, i mean it's a great question and uh you know we see it a lot in los angeles and and usc like in general just seems to be the the eye on the prize is like getting to the rose bowl and for ucla for years the eye on the prize was just beating usc and so you would see teams like that weren't great ucla teams that beat usc and they would kind of not do as well in other games and last year was sort of the opposite where that for whatever reason they, they didn't even show up for the usc game and usc just put a thump on them uh, but they played pretty well in some of the other ones. But, you know, USC ended up going undefeated in the Pac-12 South and having a lot of trouble with the teams in the North. I, I do think this year UCLA's picked to win the South. Um, I kind of think they will. I just think that with USC, there's so much – there's there's a lot of questions with the coaching staff. and you know. But it's I think it's they're probably a more talented team than UCLA at this point. But I think it's really close. Uh, but that's what – it's just being able to take that next step and – be consistent week to week. We just haven't seen UCLA do that. They'd have trouble with Stanford or they'd have trouble with whoever and just not uh, not be able to put it all together. But I think Jim Moore is a great coach. This could be the year. You got Josh Rosen being a sophomore. I'm, I'm not sure. But the, the North, to me, is just so talented. I don't know if they'll be able to to get through that unscathed. Their, their North schedule isn't as tough as USC's. But it, it, it it's a great question, just why have they not been able to put it together? Even with the Rick Neuheisel days where you thought they recruit well against USC, Trojans were on sanctions. USC still would have better recruiting classes. I don't know. It's just it's not worked real well, real well for them, Chris. Now it's funny because I we, we we did the uh, the Arizona game out in Tucson last year and put up. I mean, they, they could have scored every possession if they wanted to, and then the next game they go out and lose to ASU, who couldn't beat anybody in conference last year. It, 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 it's mind numbing. But yeah, you, you talked on the North. The North is really interesting to me because. I mean, you have Oregon. I mean, bring in another FCS quarterback, and can they continue to win doing that? 
I know Royce Freeman is 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 a really good back, but I really worry about uh, especially the direction of their defense. If you look at their uh, defensive efficiency numbers over the last few years, they have dropped like a rock. And, and I don't know if it's been recruiting. I don't know if it's scheme. Uh, I don't know if it's coaching. I don't know what it is, but uh, they give up a lot of points. And ultimately, one of these JUCO transfers that they bring in isn't going to pan out, and, and their offense isn't going to be able to keep up. So I'm really I'm curious about Oregon. I'm curious to see what happens at the quarterback position at Stanford as well, it, if he can come in and replace Hogan. Because, I mean, Kevin Hogan, for uh, the lack of accolades that he received, was a really good, steady college quarterback. Uh, do they have a supporting cast around Christian McCaffrey to allow him uh, to, to run free? Uh, I, I don't know. I, mean, I, I think a lot of people are just trusting that, that, that David Shaw and, and, and Bloomy will figure it out on offense, and, and, and they'll wind up winning the North. I know Washington is a team that young and, and up-and-coming, but they lost some guys on defense, I think, that are pretty big. Uh, they have to go to Eugene. So, I mean, they're a team that I think if anybody other than Chris Peterson was the coach of Washington right now, I don't think people will really be talking about them as a dark horse. But to see the coaches poll come out today and see them ranked as highly as they are, I mean, I think people are buying into Washington. Washington, so I think between I mean, between UW, Oregon, and, and Stanford, I mean, those are the three teams that, that, that one of those three will come out of it. And, and I think people are just trusting the recency factor with Stanford now. Uh, they, they built a program and over. And, no, no, no more Jim Harbaugh. No more Andrew Luck to just continue to win and and get to the Rose Bowl in big games. So I think that's. I think most people are going to land on Stanford in the North, but but it wouldn't surprise me if either Oregon or uh, UW wind up winning that. No, I, I agree a hundred percent. And just the 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 system that Stanford has in place, the seamlessness between Harbaugh and Shaw has been a lot different than Chip Kelly and Hell Fritch. And we'll see if they're able to get that rolling again. I, I still think Oregon's got a shot, but Washington for me, Chris, well, the really thing that was impressive is. You know, having the number one defense in the Pac-12 last year after losing four of the top 44 picks in the NFL draft all on the defensive side of the football. So they, they proved they can replace big name players on defense and still do well. And that offense, like when, when USC lost to Washington, they had no business losing it. That was Sark last game. Jake <laughs> Browning just wasn't, you know, but by the end of the year, the offense was playing a lot better. So I think that's why you, you expect the offense to get a little better. You expect the defense to still be elite. And I think that's why. People are picking them as the dark horse. Yeah, but when if USC lost to Washington at the end of the year, no shame in that. But they, when they lost to them early in the year, when they had no offense whatsoever, and it was like seventeen to twelve. That, that was a crime. Yeah, I, I remember sitting, that was the third. I think it was the Thursday night game. I remember yeah. in the hotel room, just gotten back from dinner. I was like, wow, this is this is going to get really, really ugly really soon out in the, out in LA for, for Sark and SC because it, it was just a. a it, it, it was kind of like the Washington State game, the BC game, these games that they just are huge favorites that SC like somehow loses. It, it, it just, one of my, one of my uh, colleagues here is an SC guy, and I remember a couple of years ago saying, I think they, this team that, I mean, they, they, they should win the Pac-12 this year, and he's just no shot, no shot. They'll lose a game they shouldn't lose, and by the end of the year, they're still short on scholarship, they'll be beat up, and and, and, and sure enough, by the end of the day, they're sitting eight and five or whatever. But yet, I, I worry about Washington now that being that trendy team, and you, you lose Mickens and, and you lose Littleton and Feeney, who had such a huge game against SC last year. Uh, I, I'd like to see them come back and, and be a dominant team because I remember when we had, when we had it out there a couple of years ago. That was a great scene and a great time, and it looked like Sark had had it going in the right direction there, and. And, and, and then he left, and they kind of took a little bit of a step back. But 
I, I'd love to get back out there with the show. It's just a beautiful place, a newly renovated stadium, and fans were great. And maybe it was just because it was the first trip out there, and we loved going somewhere for the first time. But that's a place where you could see them winning and winning again real soon. Uh, well, this is the Peristyle podcast. We, of course, talk USC football most of the time, but, you know, we wanted to get more of a national perspective and kind of a regional perspective from you. But just looking at USC, maybe, you know, your kind of initial thoughts. There's so many questions right now with, you know, new coaching staff and all of that, but it's still a very talented team. We have them at 82 guys on scholarship now. So they're almost completely back from the sanctions depth wise and stuff. But what, what are your thoughts uh, from the, from the East Coast looking at USC? Yeah. I, I see a team. The first thing I look at is, now that, it's not the first thing that I always look at, but the first thing that just jumps off the page is the schedule. I mean, our football power index has it as the toughest schedule in the country. And you're looking at those first four games where if you're two and two, that's probably really good. So I don't think most people are going to give you, give you a chance against, against Alabama just because it's not a good way to, like you were talking, you got a new coaching staff. New defensive coordinator, new quarterback. Your offensive line was shaky last year. Now you're going up against Saban's defense, and I know they lost some guys, but they were so deep on the defensive line at linebacker last year. I mean, they may lose starters, but believe me, their, their second string basically played as much as their starting units last year. So that's going to be a tough game. But, but, but the, the talent at SC, if, if, yeah, if you look at the recruiting rankings and if you look at the but the mock drafts, I mean, it's certainly there. I mean, Brown is Brown going to be the guy? Is, is that what pretty much is believed out there? I, mean, I would think that's the case, right? You think so, but the fact that they're not going to name a starter until two weeks into fall camp, and you know, a lot of the defensive coaches I talked to really loved Sam Darnold from last year when he was running the scout team. So it's a good competition, and, and Darnold can throw the ball uh, better than people thought, and, he, and he's got the athletic ability to run. Nick Saban has you know, more trouble with running quarterbacks than drop back guys. So maybe there's someone, you know, maybe Clay Helton decides to go with Darnold. It's still, I, I still think it's up in the air, Chris. My, my guess would be Max Brown, but who knows? I mean, that, that, that's the interesting little, little twist right there. Do they, does Clay and the offensive coaches, they have something up their sleeve for that? Cause, cause that could, I mean, look at, I mean, again, look no further than the college football playoff last year. Connor Cook. Statue in the pocket got obliterated. Yeah. <laughs> Sean Watson, move around, throw the ball, put up 40 points and, and, and nearly win the game. Uh, I think the fact that SC's got a couple of good tailbacks, that's really going to help them. Whoever the quarterback ultimately is, I mean, being able to rely on those guys to run the ball and get some yardage, that, that, that's going to, that's going to be good. And obviously, I love, uh, I love Juju Smith Schuster, wide receiver. I mean, he's been a guy that a couple of years now just Every time he touches the ball, he's a threat to bring it to the house. I mean, Cameron Smith, really, really good player on defense. Torrey Jackson, going both ways. I mean, these are names that everybody nationally knows and is aware of and, and sees as talented players. And, again, I just think that the overall – I think it's going to be one of those years where you're going to look at the end of the year and USC – say USC is 8-4, and four and you're going to be like, wow, that's, that's pretty disappointing. But then you're going to go back and look at the schedule – and you're going to look at all the other, like, the power ratings and the metrics, and say USC is going to be, like, 23rd or 24th in the AP poll, but if you look at, like, Football Power Index or Bill Connolly's uh, rank rankings, will probably be a top-10 team just because of how their schedule equates to who they face. But uh, I think the biggest thing that SC's got going for one defense is, is Clancy coming back. I mean, their, yeah. their defense was great when he was there last time around, and can he employ that same scheme with, with these guys again? 
and uh, I, I think him coming in will will solve a lot of woes defensively. I think you're right. I mean, aggressive. You, know, you look at the athletes and recruiting rankings don't meet everything, but you know, Juju Smith-Schuster was a five star. Dory Jackson was a five star. I mean, those guys were ranked high and they're great players. And I think when you saw what, uh, you know, what the way the schemes were the last couple of years, it just was more of a kind of read and react sort of thing, and it would change every week. Justin Wilcox, I. I think he did, you know, good at Boise State. I think he'll do great at Wisconsin. But just the kind of athletes USC had, you need to let them loose. And we talked about that UCLA game. Every defensive back we talked to after that game, Chris, was like, we played man the whole time. It was great. And they shut him down. <laughs> and so you're like, well, why don't you do that more often? And I, so I think with Clancy and bringing that more aggressive style, you're going to have some bad games. He had a bad game against UCLA. He had a bad game against Arizona State. But for the most part, I think you put the athletes in better position to win. And for me, it's 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 more about scheme in that respect and what is Clancy Pendergast able to do. I just think it's going to look a lot better because you're letting these athletes go out and make plays and, and just hit people. Yeah, and I can remember back to the the old Florida State days where, where they were such a dominant defense, and that was Mickey Andrews' scheme. Just we we our athletes are better than your athletes. We're going to play man to man. We're going to pressure you, and and, and that's going to be if you beat us, if you beat us, you beat us. But we feel we are better than you, and. And, and we can cover and eliminate your strength by doing by doing that. I'm hoping we get out there. I'm hoping that Notre Dame game at the end of the year means something. Oh yeah, I mean, I'd love love to get back out west because it's always a it's always a, it's always a fun trip to to be out there. And and, and gosh, I always people always ask about our uh, some of the, the better memories. I mean that that Cal game against Aaron Rodgers and the, and the Coliseum that early afternoon game in 2005. I think it was it was five right. Yeah, I think it was. Uh, I think it was five where he completed like twenty-four straight passes or something. Yeah, and he got got inside the ten-yard line and got shut down. That was one of the best regular season college football games I've ever seen, and and that was a really good Cal team, and obviously that was a great SC team, and and that was just an unbelievable scene and atmosphere. I mean, I think we've been. I, gosh, I think we've been probably in the Coliseum at least a, a dozen times or so for a game, and then umpteen times for for Rose Bowl games itself, but. Uh, we always love coming out there, and ho- hopefully, uh, hopefully that Notre Dame game at the end of the year will mean something. Maybe, yeah, who knows? Maybe even the Oregon game will be a be a potential game. And we'll, I don't know. Uh, I know Kirk and Kirk and Chris will be calling that game on Saturday night for the uh, the Alabama game season opener, and uh, we'll get to see the Trojans up close. The uh, last year was crazy year. Not if you cover USC, it's not that crazy. Just things like that happen all the time. You know, just whatever reason. You know, coaches get fired in the middle of the season. They do, you know, get drunk, do whatever, you know, all that kind of stuff that goes on. Um, but the way that USC kind of handled that and hiring, uh, Clay Helton and not really going out and getting a, a big name, what, what was the kind of perception from, you know, from the East Coast, the national perspective on how that, that whole thing was handled? I, I think they were very, I think it was very surprising. I know I was very surprised that that was the way they went. I wouldn't say like shocked or disappointed because I almost think that it, it was the safe, I'm not going to be embarrassed higher, if that kind of makes sense. Yeah. If you go out there and you know the job's available and you kind of get turned down and you try and go after Kevin Sumlin again and he doesn't take it, oh, Chip Kelly, he might leave the Eagles, oh, he doesn't want it, or whomever else, whoever the hot names were last year, I can't even remember. But this was, I mean, Clay was a guy who I think the team kind of responded to I me. Mean, the, the, the way they played for him against Notre Dame, that was a really good I – mean, they, they lost, but they played really well. They beat the, the heck out of Utah, uh, I think it was the following week. And I think that's a good sign. I mean, I mean it, it can always go it, – it's a dangerous thing because it can go both ways where year one, 
I mean, remember Carl Torbush in North Carolina. That this is who we want to replace Mac. And first year it was great. I think they won 11 and one or 10 and two. And then after that, flamed out. Larry Coker at Miami. We want Larry Coker as our head coach. We win the national title the first year, and then play for it the second year. And then after that, he spun the program spun out of control. So, so it's dangerous to see if if, if they'll be able to play for him again. But but uh, I mean, I think I think short term with everything that that program had been through with sanctions, Wayne, how that ended with Sark and how that that ended, uh, the AD's health. Um, I, I think that was it was probably the safest option uh, for the time being and, and may have the best immediate uh, short-term success. Uh, Chris Valica, follow him on Twitter, at Chris, F-A-L-L-I-C-A. We had a few questions on the pair, so I don't want to take up too much of your time, Chris, but if you have a few minutes, we I'd love to yeah. get... You sure? Okay, yeah. Oh. You know, it's... It's it's still kind of the off season, I guess, with camp starting, but you guys got stuff to do. Um, Southern Cal fan says, "Who do you believe is the favorite to win the national title, and who would your dark horse or surprise team be?" Thanks and fight on. I would say I'm going to go really go on on a limb here and, and, and say Alabama or Clemson is the favorites to win the title. <laughs> um, I, I would say Clemson right now over Alabama, just because I think Alabama last year used. The, the loss in the playoff as a driving force towards next year and finishing. And, and I think the group that Dabo Sweeney has with Deshaun Watson back at quarterback, I know they lost some guys on defense, but Austin Bryant and, and Jenkins and those guys played a ton. So they're really more experienced on defense. I, and I think knowing that they led in the third quarter and they let a couple of special team breakdowns do them in, uh, they're, they're a team that they haven't lost to an unranked team or a team with a losing record in five or six years, so they don't get upset. Uh, I'd be surprised if they weren't back in the playoff, and I would say they would be the favorites. Uh, a couple of real dark horse teams that, I mean, I, I don't know if you consider them dark horses. I think Notre Dame is being a little overlooked this year. I, I know they just lost Jones to academics, and that's a big loss, but you look at their schedule, and NFC falls in, into, obviously, the schedule at the end of the year. Of the nine Power 5 teams that Notre Dame play, seven of them have a first-year starting quarterback. They only have three true road games. Well, I don't think uh, Notre Dame will be as good as they were last year. I, I think the schedule sets up well for them. So if you consider Notre Dame off the radar, uh, that's someone, a couple other teams even further off. I think Louisville, uh, I liked Louisville last year, and obviously early in the year Lamar Jackson wasn't ready to go. By the end of the year, their offense was really good. Uh, they get Florida State at home this year. They have to go to Clemson. Um, but, but with Petrino there and the, and the guys they have coming back, especially on defense, and healthy wide receivers now. Jackson a year under his belt. Uh, I think I was looking the other day when I was writing a column for uh, for Chalk. I think they're about 50 or 60 to one to win the title. Uh, they're someone that might be a bigger factor than people think. And even further off the radar, I'm going to laugh at for this. Is <laughs> Auburn? Auburn was a top huh. 10 preseason team last year. Yeah, thank you. I, pray, I appreciate you. Uh, Fulfilling my request for that. But, but you, this year, yeah, no one thought 2013 was going to happen for Auburn. They were, they were the worst, one of the worst teams in SEC history of the year before. Couldn't do anything right. And, and there they were. They caught every, they caught a ton of breaks in 2013, built momentum, got hot, and there they were at the end of the year. They're, they're, they're healthier on defense now. There's no expectation. Gus Malzahn is on the hot seat. You look at the September schedule, oh, gosh, they open with Clemson, then they have LSU, and then they have A&M. How are they possibly going to gonna get through that? But that's the type of thing where they don't, I don't even think they need to beat Clemson. If they were to play Clemson close week one, 
Then they have LSU coming in week three. They were to beat LSU. That's something that could build throughout the year and maybe put them in a, in a big iron ball at the end of the year in Alabama. Do I think it will happen? No, but if you're looking for someone way off the radar, uh, they're potentially a team that, that, that you could look out for. Well, that's good. And that's a team, like if they go out and beat Clemson, then it's, it's all game, you know, it's, it's, there's a completely, you're thinking about it like 2013 again. Or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, missing brain cells had a exactly. question. I'm sorry. What was that? No, I was going to say, yeah, it, it, exactly. I mean, you, you're sitting there and, no, that, that, that's the beauty of the sport. No one can. No one saw Iowa being 12 and 0 going yeah. to the Big Ten championship game last year. And that, that's the great thing about the sport. Every year there seems to be someone from completely off the radar. I was. I just sent out a a, a tweet a couple of minutes ago. So I'm working on a uh, some AP poll stuff. In the last in the last three years, there've been six teams that didn't even get a preseason vote that wound up finishing in the top ten. So it's it, it's a wild season. Almost anything can happen. Talk to me about dead brain cells. Yeah, I'll say missing brain cells. His, missing his, brain cells. Yeah, he's sorry. right. He wrote in, and he said, "What's the zaniest fan experience you've witnessed while on campus shooting game day, on a campus?" The the, the, the greatest, or oh gosh, where oh, where, where do I? Uh, the, he said zaniest, but whatever, you know whatever. Zan, zan, zaniest. Okay, well, well, he he, he here's something that was crazy, zany during a show and borderline dangerous. I remember it. Uh, at Michigan State in '97, uh, this was the, the the era of pre-net behind the uh, the set. Uh, someone decided to take a an open full beer can and hoist it onto the set and kind of exploded right between Kirk and Lee. That was uh, zany and dangerous. I, I I think the the bad weather stuff is uh is always like the the, the guys diving into the mud and at Clemson uh, for the Notre Dame in the Georgia game the year before that. Uh, 98, yeah, 98 Big 12 championship game, dating myself. We were in the parking lot uh, at Arrowhead Stadium. And, uh, there are, there's, there's, it's in a snowstorm. There's nobody out there. And, and, like, the only thing you can, like, see, like, off the, off in the distance behind the set is someone around a, a garbage can lit on fire trying to, like, stay warm and watch the show. And I'm like, Wow, that that that's dedication right there. So wow, I, I think I think those would be the things that probably uh we would classify as the zaniest. Yeah, those are really good. Or ones. bizarre. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Uh, Bruin Banker. Ooh, Bruin Banker. Actually, I take that it was a 2000 Big Big 12 championship game, not the 98. 98. It was, okay. it was Kansas State, Oklahoma, but it was 2000, not 98. Okay, cool. Uh, Bruin Banker says, if game day could only go to one campus from each Power Five conference and one group of five, where would those locations be? That's tough. One, one, one power five and one group of five. Well, one Ooh. of each power five conference. So like one of each power five. Yeah. Um, I would say for Pac-12 it will be Oregon. Uh, it, it's just something about the scene up there early in the morning and people milling about. It, it, it's in the air up there. I would say Oregon from the Pac-12. I would say from the Big Twelve. Hmm, Big Twelve, I'd say. I'd say Texas, uh, Austin is a great, great city. Big Ten is, I would say, Columbus, Ohio State. Those fans are insane, and Ohio Stadium is a great scene. Uh, ACC, I would say Clemson. Uh, again, great, great place to watch a game. We have a good location there. A ton of fans are always there. And I'm missing the SEC. I'm trying to hold out on that one because I don't want to. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to say the wrong answer and get people mad at me. I mean, oh gosh. Um, ooh. 
I'd say Ole Miss. Uh, we had we had the an growth. unbelievable yeah. time in the Grove a couple of years ago. Uh, it's a really unique experience. Uh, I would say that, and and I would say Group of Five. I'd say Boise only because it's one of the few that I've been to, and I can remember it. And I've, I've been to a number of games uh, up in Boise for some Thursday night and some primetime games that were there, and I I just love the area. The weather is great. The scenery is great. Some good restaurants. Uh, Good, good people up there. So I'd say Boise Blue for the podcast. Okay. Um, I'll do a couple quick ones. Sorry. Uh, with the yeah. pro- proliferate, uh, proliferation of facilities, natural recruiting, national television contracts, and the rise of the SEC, do you ever see, Al- uh, do you ever see Miami, your alma mater, getting back to the glory days or is it time gone? I think it's gone, unfortunately. Um, I, I, I know uh, it's a point of contention with Mark Rick and somebody brought up the question about uh, the stadium and the Orange Bowl being gone and where they are. And he, he really did a great sell job on the new stadium. Um, he, he, he's, he maintains winning will cure all of that and that will bring people back. But I, I just think unfortunately now with, uh, Clemson being better, Florida State being better and just all those reasons, uh, I, I don't think that, I mean, you have to consider what they did too. I mean, you're talking about a run from 83 to 2004 that was just Five national championships, BCS bowls for five straight years, the number of first round draft choices they had. Uh, it, it would be hard for anybody to, to get back up there. That being said, Florida State, where they are right now, I mean, I, I don't think they're at where they were in the in the 90s, but but, but they're pretty close. But unfortunately, I don't think uh, Miami, being the private school with the, the the enrollment that they have and the facilities, that's the biggest thing for Miami right now. They really need to upgrade their facilities. But uh, I, I think they can be a consistent 10-win team, but I don't think we're looking at three national titles in seven years anymore type of success. C. Trickle says, why isn't game day in, in Texas on September 3rd? Why would they pick uh, Justin Wilcox's defense trying to stop Fournette <laughs> over one of the most historic matchups in college football history? Well, I, I don't want I don't want to be, give any spoiler. Well, well here, here's the thing. Lambeau is going to be a location that I – mean, they never have college football games up there. It's a unique spot. We've opened the season in Texas, I think, gosh, for the last five or six years we've been in Arlington for that game. Uh, it's just a different location and try to get a better, a better scene for the show earlier in the day. Um, it's an earlier kickoff, the, the, uh, the Wisconsin LSU game, so there'll be more people around, whereas at Cowboy Stadium, it's a little bit further out and it's a night, night kick, so we don't, we're not necessarily sure what Scene will be look like, and we've we've seen that scene before. However, Kirk and Chris will call that game. I'm actually flying down from Lambeau with Kirk after game day, so I'll be there for the uh, the SC Alabama game. We got we got a great weekend. Then some people are going to Austin for a for for, for the Texas Notre Dame game the following day, and then Kirk and myself will go on to Orlando for the uh, Florida State Ole Miss game on Monday night. So wow. uh, we 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 got a busy weekend. Don't, don't worry, August, August game day isn't there on <laughs> Saturday morning. Don't don't we're going to cover that game plenty. And uh, and part of our crew is going to be headed down there on Saturday night as well. All I right. think the radio show, actually, the game day radio, will be up out at USC Alabama. As okay. Come out and see uh, Brad and, and Doug and those guys. Cool. One last one from Kings fan. Well, he wanted to know one one thing real quick. Where do you watch the show, the games after the show? We well on the bus on the game day bus. We have a half a dozen TVs on there where we we can follow everything. And when we fly, um. We we usually have a TV on the plane that we can get via Direct TV, and then 
we uh, we rely on uh, ESPN3 and the Watch app to bring in whatever we whatever we possibly. Can. Unfortunately, a lot of those flights are are short, so we're not missing a lot. But yeah, we're we're locked in. We 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 have a uh, we have we have six TVs on there in the back, and usually we can pay close attention to probably four of them with like two of them out of the corner of our eyes. So uh, we, we 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 obviously we can't watch everything. We'd love to. There's some things that we will miss, but. But we feel that we do a pretty good job of staying locked in. And it's funny, there are a lot of times when I'm in the truck on Saturday night for the primetime game, I'll actually be paying more attention to some of the other games that are on as opposed to the game that I should be watching and paying attention to to help Kirk and Chris and those guys with the telecast. Just because I kind of, it's funny though, because they have actually told me that I'm, I can be more of a help sometimes to them in watching the other games and letting them know what's going on because, I mean, here, here's Kirk and Chris after the game who have to comment about other other games and all Kirk has asked about all week is the end of whatever and he's focused in calling that game whereas I can be in the truck and I can have I, I can have whatever whatever the big Fox game is that night or uh, LSU Alabama has been a primetime game uh, at night up against whatever we've been at so I've like I've been locked into those games being able to okay here's what happened he fumbled going in. Uh, big third down, whatever the play might be that he might need to talk about uh, on the other way that night or throughout the week. And then, so the so Kings fan, real, the big question was: Is there a celebrity picker who really impressed you with their knowledge? Mm, with their knowledge, oh, think now. I was impressed with Katy Perry's preparation. She was terrific in terms of. I mean, she she studied up. You know, I'm trying to think who else was really really good. Um, you know, Nick Swisher was really good a couple of years ago oh. when, when he, he, he of all of all people he he was he was he was dialed in. Um, Chesney's dialed in. I know he takes he takes a lot of grief. Everyone, oh, he's a fan of this team. He's a fan of that team. Oh, wow, today he's a fan of them. But but he knows his football and, and he's really locked in as well. Um, let me see who else, who else was really uh was really good. Brian Wilson was fun. I don't know how locked in he was at LSU a few years ago, but uh, <laughs> but he 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 put on a, a an entertaining show. Um, wow, it, it's so hard to think about that because they they kind of blend together in terms of the, um, the 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 entertainment and the shock value of it. But it, but I, I would say either Chesney or Swisher a couple of years ago was really uh, dialed in and following the sport. Chris Felica, thank you so much, Chris, for uh, coming on the show. We're so excited for college football to finally be here. Fall camp you know, started for some teams, starting today for USC, and uh, we're looking forward to watching you on game day, making your picks and stuff, and uh, hopefully people enjoyed it. But thanks so much for coming on. Anytime. I love doing it. All right. Chris Felica, follow him on Twitter, at Chris Felica, F-A-L-L-I-C-A. This has been the Peristyle Podcast. i got to head over to campus now and go cover some USC football. So we're back. Check it out on uscfootball.com. Hope you guys enjoyed the show, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.